For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Welcome back. Tonight's chant will be the Heart Sutra, um, but we will begin with uh, the Repentance Verse, which we chant three times. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully vow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully vow. Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra. Uh, uh, uh. Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, when deeply practicing Prajnaparamita, clearly saw that all five skandhas are empty and thus relieved all suffering. Shari Pucha form does not differ from emptiness. Emptiness does not differ from form. Form itself is emptiness. Emptiness itself form. Sensations, perceptions, formations, and consciousness are also like this. Shari Pucha all dharma. Are marked by emptiness, they neither arise nor cease, are neither defiled nor pure, neither increase nor decrease. Therefore, given emptiness, there is no form, no sensation, no perception, no formation, no consciousness, no eyes, no ears, no. Sir, sure. 
has complete perfect enlightenment. Therefore know the Prajna Paramita as the great miraculous mantra, the great bright mantra, the supreme mantra, the incomparable mantra which removes all suffering and is true, not false. Therefore we proclaim the Prajna Paramita Mantra, the mantra that says Gate Gate Paragate Parsamgate Bodhisattva. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the heart of great perfect wisdom sutra. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, mahaprajna paramita. When he is ready, Douglas will be giving tonight's talk. Case six from the Blue Cliff Record. Yunman's every day is a good day. The case, Yunman said, I don't ask you about before the 15th day. Try to say something about after the 15th day. Yunman himself answered for everyone, every day is a good day. Good evening. Thank you all for being here. It's a small group, so maybe I can be conversational, which is good because this is a very wide open koan that doesn't lend itself to some sort of <clears throat> structured discussion necessarily. Um, so this is a koan um, about Yunman Wanyan, who was one of the last of the great Tang Dynasty Zen teachers, one of the greatest. He lived from the middle of the ninth century to the middle of the 10th century. And he was very much in the tradition of the other really great Tang teachers like uh, Linji, Mazu, Bajan, Wangbo, Diaozhou. And like them, he could be a wild, crazy man sometimes and other times um, be very subtle. Um, and he's left a record for us. There, there's a collection of um, stories about Wangbo called the record, I mean, about Yunman, called the record of Yunman, which was traditional back then. There are similar collections about the other teachers as well. And koans from those were extracted and put into the, the collections 
the great koan collections, such as the Blue Cliff Record, the Gateless Barrier, and the Book of Serenity. And Yeoman has an incredibly important position in those books. Um, out of the hundred koans in the Blue Cliff Record, 17 are about Yeoman. Out of the hundred koans in the Book of Serenity, nine are about Yeoman. And out of the 48 koans in the Gateless Barrier, uh, five are about Yeoman. Um, and they vary a good bit, especially uh, in the record of Yunman. And if you can, there's a, a what seems like a good translation by Ursop that really is worth reading. And it gives you, you know, these these collections were compiled a good while after these teachers died. And it's unclear to what extent the stories they record were from notes that people made contemporaneously, or if they're just oral traditions that were carried on or people invented these. But the, the record of Yunman gives them um, more of a sense of Yunman as a full rounded personality. Um, he, um, as I said, he was a wild man. I mean, he liked Linji and Mazu and so on. It wasn't unusual if someone asked a stupid question or gave a stupid answer for him to punch them, to uh, supposedly shake loose, shake them loose from their deluded thinking into awaken Bodhi. Um, but he had some other things that he was famous for. Um, one of them was one word Zen, just very short responses. So he'd, what is, what is the straight path of Yudman? His response would be intimate. Um, other times, repeatedly, people would uh, ask him questions or give um, an unacceptable answer. And his one-word response would just be barrier. So suggesting that the monk's thinking and questioning, questioning was itself the barrier to awakening to big mind. Um, and there are several... Um, koans uh, that are, uh, have been important to me and that I think we've talked about at Ancient Dragon before. There's the one where a monk asks him, what is Buddha? And Yuman says, dried shit stick. And that has the advantage of one, you know, there's the tradition of, of Zen teachers speaking about something that's there in that situation as a direct presentation uh, of Buddha. And so dried shit stick has the advantage of maybe that's right. Maybe there was that sort of dried shit stick, sort of the equivalent of toilet paper sitting there. But also Robert, and there's another level of meaning, Robert Aitken in his translation of The Gateless Bearer says, dried shit stick at that time was a phrase, pretty much the equivalent of shithead in English. So the guy asks him this abstract question and the response is shithead. I mean, Yuman was very much about staying away from abstract uh, discussions of, of Dharma for dynamic action and and discussion in the in the living moment. And a couple of those that, that we're familiar with is, you know, why do we put on the seven panel road robe at the sound of the bell? Or why does the teaching of a lifetime an appropriate statement? Um, but as I said, he could be, um, he could be a wild man too. And he came by that, honestly, his own teacher, his first teacher, Mujo, was kind of a wild man. Mujo was one of an unusual man because he had been a monk for quite a while. After he was a teacher, his mother became ill and he left the monastery to take care of her. And he would make straw sandals and leave them out at night for pilgrims and other people who needed shoes. And that makes him sort of sound sort of like a softy, but that really wasn't the case. When, what he was really famous for is um, when he would sit in his room waiting for people to come for um, Dharma, for practice discussion, when they would knock, he would open the door and he would grab them by the lapels and shake them and say, say it, say it. And if they couldn't respond, He'd shove them out of the room and say, worthless. And Yunman himself experienced this. There was a week in which he visited um, 
Mujal twice on consecutive days and had exactly that experience. On the third day, he knocked. Mujal answered the door, grabbed him, say it, say it. And he couldn't say anything. And Mujal said, worthless, and shoved him out of the room and slammed the door. But he slammed the door on his leg and broke it. At that moment, with horrible pain, Yuman screamed with the agony, but at the same time, he had a great awakening. That's the good side. The downside is that he it never healed and he was lame for the rest of his life. So with that, we'll move on to, to uh, our koan, every day is a good day. So just to read it again, Yunman said, I don't ask you about before the 15th day. Try to say something about after the 15th day. Yunman himself answered for everyone, every day is a good day. So the intro, introductory sentence is a little opaque to us, I think, without a little thought that I don't ask about the days before the, about before the 15th day, say something about after the 15th day. In the lunar calendar, the 15th day is the day of the full moon, which is, at least in Zen literature, uh, a symbol of enlightenment. So what he's doing is asking his monks to say something about awakening, to say something about their lives from the standpoint of awakened mind. And he does something that um, he did more than, than other Zen teachers, as far as I can tell. You know, uh, Dogen would do the same. He'd ask a question, and when everybody just sat there silently without being able to speak, Dogen would just leave the room. Yuman would usually ask the question, nobody would answer the question, and he would answer it. So in this one, he says, you know, say something about awakening from the standpoint of the awakened mind. No one answered. He said, every day is a good day. So what is he talking about? I mean, this every day is a good day is one of maybe three Zen phrases that have sort of made it into the culture. Today, along with, you know, the references to one hand clapping and just do it. Every day is a good day is something that we see pretty regularly. It's on t-shirts, it's on coffee mugs. If you do an internet search, you find it in all sorts of so websites with wisdom of the day and positive thinking and mov- motivational speakers like to speak about it. And it's always, you know, well, if you feel that your life is terrible, just re- keep thinking. Every day is a good day and you'll feel a whole lot better. If every day you just think about the good things that are happening to you, you'll realize that every day is a good day. Uh, life is only, is only as good or as bad as you think it is. And... Um, from the standpoint of my own life, I'm unconvinced. Uh, I also think it's, I mean, I, I, that's clearly, you know, Yunman is not speaking from the same standpoint. There could be good days, it could be bad days, but every day is a good day. Um, but it's, in what way is, is he saying that every day is a good day? Because he had been through, he had seen plenty of suffering and bad days during his life. Um, at least half of his life was spent during the period when the Tang Dynasty was falling apart. When warlords and military governors were taking control of the different states of Tang China and declaring themselves kings and emperors. And there were 70 years of basically uninterrupted warfare, tremendous social disruption, and incalculable suffering as a result. Millions of people died. So what is he talking about there? Um, you know, it, it seems clear to me, since he's he's speaking about making a statement uh, about after the 15th day, 
that he, he's making a statement about or from awakened mind. And um, so he is, it is, he's not speaking from a standpoint of a duality of good and bad. You know, the, uh, the Shinshin Ming, the poem about entrusting yourself to heart mind, is clear that all dualities are the product of deluded mind. They're like dreams or sky flowers, right? The dreams, they don't exist at all. They're just something you've, you've created yourself. Or the sky flowers are um, uh, like floaters. The, the lines and flowers you, you see in the sky if you have cataracts. So also there's the, something that appears to be there that's not there. And so uh, the Xinxing Ming tells you that you need to, what does it say? The actual language is uh, gain and loss, right and wrong. Thoughts about those must finally be abolished. If the eye never sleeps, all dreams will naturally cease. And if the mind makes the discriminations, the 10,000 things are as they are a single essence. So we're familiar with that, that our ordinary mind, our small mind is, is full of dualities of this and that, good and bad, like, dislike, should, shouldn't, um, right, wrong. Um, our big mind, we step outside of that. And the problem is that when we're caught up in that mind of good, bad, right, wrong, and are clinging to those um, dualities, um, we do two things. We, we project those realities. We come up with these schemes that, and that we um, project onto the world and that we internalize themselves and we suffer because the world just doesn't fit into those schemes. And we live then in a nearly constant state of need or anxiety or anger. It's essentially the analysis that Buddhism has had since the very beginning. Um, So how are we supposed to live? Well, the Shin says the great way is not difficult for those who don't pick and choose, who have no preferences, who don't think good or bad, like or dislike. Um, How do we do that? Um, That's what we do in Zazen, right? We sit upright, we don't move, and we allow thoughts to come and go without trying to stop them or affect them or encourage any thoughts of one sort or another. And in doing that, we, we step outside of, the, of those delusions and we are released from those conceptual boxes or those boxes of feeling and judgment and thinking that we've built for ourselves and open up into a different world. It's a, with a sense of release. We're released from this thinking and it's a sense of relief in that the, the fundamental unease is released at the same time. And in doing that, we awaken to, as soon as we step outside of that, uh, of being attached to the thinking, caught up in our thinking, being attached to the, in that small mind, we simply return to the awareness of this situation that is there all along. Um, in a way that feels free from, uh, uh, much more real, um, vividly real, um, and in which we are, in the world is, uh, vividly apparent to us uh, in a reality that includes us. We are not separate from the reality 
of this situation and, and this moment. And we, I experience that. Um, it's something affirmative. This moment right here that we find ourselves in is complete. There is nothing missing. It's whole. What it isn't is an ex- it is not an experience of, oh, everything's okay. Oh, this is wonderful. It's all one. There are no problems. Um, it's all harmonious. This is all great. I don't need to worry about suffering or pain anymore. It is an affirmation of existence and a recognition of the ultimate value of each moment and of each thing in it, moment to moment, notwithstanding in the middle of personal suffering and more general suffering of others. Um, What it does is frees us, helps to free us from this preoccupation with ourselves and our own need and desire and suffering in order to open ourselves up to connection with the rest of the world and with others at the same time. Um, So that's very short, but I'm going to leave it there. Um, As I said, it's a wide open koan, so I suspect that some of you will have some thoughts of your own. So please raise your hands and and speak up. Come on, Yozan. You're sitting there looking like some sort of, uh, like Ram Dass's guru wrapped up in your blanket, so. (laughs) Say something about after the 15th day. Uh, Sorry, am I here now? Yes, you are. Yeah. um, (laughs) I'm not there. I'm over. I'm I'm in California. I'm sorry. I I wasn't able to join you for sitting. Um, Thanks for the great talk, Douglas. Uh, You're kind of putting me on the spot. I don't have an immediate response. Sorry. Maybe maybe in a few minutes. All right. Well, I'll take it to to the next step. There's a koan that's very similar. It's not really a koan. Uh, you've probably read it in, um, what was it called? The Paul Reps and Yogin Senzaki book. Zen Flesh, Zen, Zen Bones. Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. There are 101 Zen stories that they translated together. And there's a story about a Zen monk who's walking down the street and he's in front of a butcher shop and he hears a customer say to the butcher, I want the very best piece of meat in your shop. And the butcher says, Every piece of meat in my shop is the best piece. It's all the best meat. And the point in which led to an awakening of that monk. Um, the point of that story is very much the same as every day is a good day about the ultimate significance not emotional significance, but the ultimate significance of each moment and of everything in it. In the case of all my meat, all the my meat is the best meat. It's the fact that within this moment, everything that exists is not independent, but exists as an inseverable part, a necessary part of this moment. This moment does not exist without the participation of each thing that's in it. And each moment, each, the, the entire world, the boundless, um, inseverable, interconnected, uh, interconditioned world 
this dynamic world moment by moment is the ultimate expression of what is real at that moment and is necessary for the continuation of being throughout time and in intended directions. So none of that uh, diminishes the existence of suffering or the need to respond to suffering, but it provides a context for a, a different flavor, I think, um, in which we understand suffering. Douglas, from the point of view of non-duality, could Yun Men have said, every day is a crummy day? Uh, I don't think he could have from ultimate reality. No. Why not? <laughs> I think he could have said it from because um, I think his point is different, that it is the value of everything. I think he could speak about from the standpoint of individual things about how everything is inherently incomplete or partial. It's constantly becoming. And in that sense, maybe in its incompleteness, it's a crummy thing. Perhaps it doesn't, certainly doesn't live up to our expectation that everything is, is complete and stable and independent. And to that extent, maybe is a crummy thing. Isn't the incompleteness of samsara itself nirvana? It's inseparable from nirvana. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, nirvana and samsara are two ways of engaging the same reality. That reality is beyond our experience of nirvana and samsara. Do you like reality? What are my choices? (laughs) 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 Nyozan. Yeah, so with respect to this question about uh, the, the difference or lack of difference between samsara and nirvana, is it just a matter of whether uh, you're asking the question on the 14th day or on the 16th day, or is there more to it than that? I mean, can you can we make any assertions at all about that on the on day 14, or do we have to uh, wait till day 16 to speak truthfully about it? Or day 15? <laughs> I don't think he's talking about literal days. Do you? <laughs> no, I, I don't think he's talking about literal days, but. Uh, you know, you stated before or after awakening, whatever that is. So, mm-hmm. so. I think that we can be deluded and speak intelligently about samsara and nirvana and the relationship between them, but that's not really the point, is it? Um, we have to expressed that in our lives. Um, So, um, yeah, I I would say it that way. That, um, and at the same time, understanding that, that the presence of nirvana and samsara in our lives isn't some sort of linear chronological thing, right? Both, both delusion and awakening are with us all the time. It's a matter of, of, of recognition. And um, in the case of samsara, our ability to um, let go, not to cling to our ideas and perceptions and judgments and feelings about things. So... It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's it's that dealing with clinging and grasping, being caught up in our thinking and feeling. Yes, Henrik. Hi, Douglas. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, 
So when you made the expression of how human uh, intercept his students at the entrance to the Zendo, you know, being so straightforward and, and so, and grabbing them by the, by the clothes like that, you know, this experience seems to me that it, it makes the reality, it makes the moment a moment. And either through that, there's a way to retract or go through with that moment. And it seems that wouldn't then you become a moment. And that's what it seems to me, if I'm understanding correctly, um, that every day is a good day because every moment is a good moment to, um, to awaken, to experiencing what is. And it's something I've read. Um, it's uh, in Adogen's um, Zenki. There is a paragraph when he draw parallel of living to riding a boat. He says that a person operates the boats, a boat by oar and the sail, but eventually, through that moment of operation, the, the person doesn't exist beyond the self. And the boat becomes the function of, of life through the interaction of wind and the, the water and then all kinds of different factors that influence that. And it seems to me that that's, that, that's what it is good for the moment. Um, the moment in being aware of, of being in the boat and rowing the boat or sailing the boat and being in the middle of all those causes and conditions of weather and water and, or can you say a little more? Mm. That's what strikes me as that, that what it is to be in the moment. And that's what the moment is good for. Mm. I'm not sure what, what can I say more in different words? If you can help me, maybe. <laughs> well, I think Bujo is trying to, keep people from being stuck in discursive thought about the Dharma and come up with some very zenny answer. He wants, he wants something to come from a different part of them, a deeper part of them. Um, and uh, I think that same part is the part that, that we uh, practice um, expressing ourselves by um, not trying to get rid of our thinking, which is impossible and, and thinking is necessary for us to live, but not to be caught up in it, not to inhabit the thoughts or what, what, our, uh, what our Sangha member, Howard Ruan would say is, we don't buy into our thinking about things, that there are fixed stable, uh, independent things. Um, and we do that not intellectually, but by stepping outside of it, becoming, letting the thoughts go so that they don't suck up and absorb all of our awareness, but we take our place in the world and in all of the activity of the moment. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of, are you aware of absolutely everything that's going on in the moment? We have limit, limited perspective, but are coming out to participate in the moment as the moment. I think it's what we do without getting caught up in the thoughts and recognizing that the thoughts are themselves, our thoughts of good or bad, this, that, should, shouldn't, are themselves parts of the moment and expressions of the moment. But it seems to me that the thoughts are only part of the experiences that um, prevent us from experiencing the moment. As a lot of things that are happening in our body already happened and they force us to view reality in a certain way. They give us the skewness. Can you, can you say more about what you have in mind? Trauma, for example. Um, in a way, it's predisposed to act in a certain way. Like... If, if I, I'll be facing the human, you know, when I open the, you know, any, any type of zendo and somebody grab me by the clothes like this and start yelling in my face, 
I might, I might not respond to me walking through a zendo and, and meeting my, you know, uh, teacher, but I might be seeing him as somebody else. And that happens beyond the thinking. Uh, I'm not sure how to respond. I, I certainly would not. I don't think that would be Mujo's teaching of grabbing and shaking and shouting would not be an appropriate way of teaching me, for example. I don't think I would respond well. But, um, and I think you've mentioned trauma as one cause for, uh, or not recognize, not awakening in the moment. And I think it's really, it's very much the same thing of, of trauma creates karma for us. It shapes our experience of the moment and being, and, and makes it difficult for us sometimes in the same way that very strong emotions do make it very hard for us to awaken to this moment and not be caught up in the intense feeling. I think it's, it's, it's very much the same thing. Um, yeah. So it's not just uh, abstract thinking that, that can cause us to be, to separate ourselves from our experience and from the moment. So in a moment like this, I mean, you already got gray hairs, so I'm sure you experienced moments like these. When then later on, you, you saw yourself like, wow, that was a, that was a strange occurrence to me. You know, I don't, I don't recognize that part about myself. To me, it certainly is when I'm, you know, finishing Zazen and I'm going about different things, and especially leaving house in a certain moment, I'm getting caught up in the thoughts, emotions, and, and all being things he seems so foreign. Um, I don't know. That may be a different issue, but it's certainly an important part of Zazen, the, the fact that that our, our experiences and thoughts and feelings and judgments that come up can surprise us sometimes. We aren't aware that, that um, some of those thoughts and feelings are a part of us. And part of the value, I think, of Zazen is that we recognize those and by not um, acting them out, not being caught up in them, they uh, can express their energy without, and, and the karma can dissipate. Um, and that can be a very healing experience. And, and, and also to honor them as genuine and authentic reflections of your own humanity, right? Mm -hmm. On some level. In your experience of them, that they are not necessarily subject to dismissal. Yeah. I think how, how, do you, how, how do you appropriately respond given your circumstances of the moment is even a whole separate subject, maybe that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure, you know, at least uh, the question of our judging our, our feelings and thoughts uh, that's just an extension of the whole process of being caught up in thinking. Of. And, and it, and it, uh, can exacerbate a problem. I think, uh, but that, you know, that doesn't eliminate the possibility of therapy and understanding what's behind certain feelings and at the same time, which is different from Zazen. Ko, what did you have to say? Well, I, I'm, I've been spending a lot of time with an infant and there's nothing um, less abstract than, than an infant in a lot of ways. It, it's, um, and what you're, the way you're talking reminds me of how I try to work with the baby. Like, so when the baby's upset, I try not to get upset also. So there's this tending to, so if the baby's got a poopy diaper or indigestion that I still love the baby, it's still a good baby. It's still a good day, even though the conditions are not pleasant, but there's, profound goodness within that interaction. And there's something about also reacting to my own life. Like you're talking about things coming up in Zazen. It's like things coming up in an infant. And if you can, if I can turn myself towards those 
internal responses in the same way I do with the baby and the external. It's a, it's a, a good response. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, it's a good step toward an awakened response to your life to think of yourself as taking care of each moment, taking care of the other people and things in your life. And the whole idea of grandmother mind has been really useful because at this age, being with an infant is so different than being a mother that it's important to get that extra step away to awaken that grandmother mind um, that we are trying to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mike. Um, Ko, I really love the the concept of, of grandmother mind. I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit or expound on that a little bit more. Um, I really enjoyed the concept. I'd never heard it before. Tigan might be able to do more. I know that in the the um, the kitchen, it's it. There's the three um, practices: um, big mind. Uh, and grandmother mind. And, and I, so I've forgotten what the other one was, but that you cultivate the, those three different minds. And one is the grandmother mind. And, and I love that that's part of Zen. That it's not a grandfather mind either. It's grandmother mind, which is, is a, 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 a kind of a softer, more pervasive um, thing. So, but Tigan could probably also say more about that. You're on mute. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. It's in Tenzo Kyokan, the instructions for the cook. And yeah, it's a big mind, magnanimous mind, I think, and grandmother mind. And um, uh, yeah, it's very important to Dogen that that's how we um, share the Dharma, is grandmother mind. And uh, so there's another story about uh, one of Dogen's close disciples, Tetsu Ikai, and as Dogen was, was uh, well, sick and going to die, he, he said to, to Tetsuki Kai, I can't give you transmission yet. You don't have enough grandmotherly mind. And uh, eventually he got transmission from, from uh, Koen Ejo, Dogen's main successor. But uh, that sense of taking care of, the, of every moment like you're taking care of a baby. You know, is one way to put it, uh, like a grandmother taking care of a baby. I wanted to add one thing. I wasn't sure if Henrik was saying this, but at one point, Henrik, it sounded like you were saying that, talking about trying to get rid of thoughts and feelings in Zazen. And I just, uh, that's not the point, if that's what you were getting at. But anyway, but yes, grandmother mind. Uh, thank you for um, commenting on that. Um, now I haven't had that in mind. I was mostly interested in uh, how thoughts and body perception uh, obscure the practice of Zazen or you know, being a part of it. You know, um, that, that's what that was my interest, you know, how they relate to each other. Uh, I think uh, the issue is our getting... F- uh, caught up in focused on something to the and and blocking out other things and grasping to some aspect of our experience, which could be bodily experience. It's not it's not ethically wrong for it to happen, but it is problematic for us. Ruben, please. Thank you for your talk, Douglas. Um, it uh, it hit me really hard. I uh, I had a really uh, strong memory of um, 
the priest uh, during a memorial service for a, a close friend of his um, standing at the at the mat and scre- you know, screaming the topic from just deep down and just this, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> and um, it's real, like, remembering it now, this real feeling of just that, that emptiness, right? The, that, not what it was, but how it was. Like, that moment connected so deeply to all those moments of his life and that love. And uh, um, yeah, like that was a good day. <laughs> um, it was deeply painful. A, it was a real day. It was a very real day. Yeah, uh, it really shifted my understanding of the cons. Uh, thank you so much, Douglas. Well, if there are no more comments, should we move on to what? To announcements or to for vows? Yeah, I can lead us in the vows. Um, I think maybe we can do without words, but I'll make sure. Everyone's muted. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it.